Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast from Vital Point Church. My name is Ron. I'm the pastor here at Vital Point. We believe that it's important for people to explore and grow in their faith. And my hope, my prayer is that this message that you're listening to will draw you closer to better understanding how you can live out your faith journey in the everyday life. Sit back and enjoy. Well, welcome to our Vital Point. It's uh, so good to have you here today. Um, one of the things that I, I just keep thinking about over and over as we uh, meet online like this, that it is such a privilege to come into your home. And it's a privilege that it is that I don't take lightly. I know the responsibility that we have as a church, that you are continuing to make this moment special, even though you might be surrounded with little ones running around, or maybe you're just sitting by yourself in your dorm room, or maybe you are an empty nester like my wife and I, and you're just enjoying your coffee, sitting in your lazy boy chair with your feet up, uh, sitting in your jammies, whatever it is. We, are, we just are so thankful that you are taking the time to do this today. I'm not sure, I can't remember if I introduced myself, uh, right? but I'm Ron, I'm the pastor here at Vital Point, and it is uh, just an exciting launch into our series today. Today we start a brand new series called Empowered, and uh, this series has been on the schedule now for a long time. It has been something that I have wanted to do now for a number of years. Uh, It's something that we have brushed by a few times over the course of our church's life. We started in 2014, and it's just kind of moments where we've brushed by this topic, but for the next few weeks, we're going to dive in at a greater depth of trying to understand this thing called spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts. We're going to unpack that for the next six weeks. A couple of years ago, I was talking to uh, a pastor I know from uh, the other side of Toronto here in Ontario, and, and his name is John Thompson, and he pastors a church called Sanctus, and we were talking about the, the Holy Spirit, we were talking about how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, and, and so we were talking about this back and forth, I said, do you have, any, have anything on this in your own personal repertoire of reading or whatever it might be. And he says, Ron, I'm just finishing up a book called Convergence, and uh, it's all about spiritual gifts. And, and uh, that, as soon as that book came out, I grabbed it, and uh, Convergence is uh, a book that I have read through a couple times, and I am so thankful for that book because uh, God has been using that book to reshape my understanding of spiritual gifts. So as much as we're going to, over the next number of weeks, jump into this conversation, I want you to know that I am on this journey with you. I am on this journey of rediscovering what are spiritual gifts, how are they developed and deployed in our lives. I was on a call this week with a few pastors getting some insight. We were bouncing some things back and forth on this topic and this series, These pastors have done similar series to this, and one of them said something very interesting, because I had said, I feel like we're going on this adventure hike together as a community. 
and that we're going to have these six stops along the way. We're going to take our backpacks off, and we're going to take stuff out of our backpacks, and then we're going to, you know, put some stuff back into the backpack and carry with us, and some stuff we're going to leave out. And I was explaining this to my two pastor friends that we were talking about over Zoom, and one of them said, Ron, it doesn't matter if you're only five feet out in front of your community, you have to lead. And so one of the, that thought hit me so clearly as I step into this moment. That as much as I have been a follower of Jesus for much of my life, as much as I've been a pastor for all of you know, my working career, basically, for 28 years I've been a pastor, I again have found myself entering into a process of rediscovering what are spiritual gifts. See, I am convinced that we need to do this series is because many of us are unclear as to what our spiritual gifts are. And so my hope is, is that you will grasp, grasp and hold on to this series in a way and God will reveal it to you. There's an anchor verse that we're going to use in our six weeks. And even though we're going to be teaching through multiple different sections of the Bible in this series, the one verse that I love that's going to be the anchor, sort of the foundation for us is found in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10. It says this, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. One of the things that's important to understand as we take a few steps into this conversation is that when a person crosses that line of faith, when a person embraces Jesus Christ as their Savior, as their forgiver, when they respond to his grace and they step into a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ, we begin to understand that God gives spiritual gifts to his followers. They're spiritual gifts to be used, as we saw here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, to serve one another. And as the weeks go on, we're going to unpack this a little bit more to understand what it looks like in our lives. Because he gives us gifts there's a variety of gifts that he gives to us, and it's our, responsible, our responsibility to use them. Now, here's a few thoughts I have for us as we jump into this conversation a little bit farther. There is going to be moments where you get clarity to what your spiritual gifts might be. There is going to be moments, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to go, oh, that's me. I've experienced that. That's what that is. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you, and we're going to put a number up on the screen right now. This is a number that you can text. This number, we're going to leave up on the screen for just a moment, is a number that I want you to put into your phone right now. Like some of you have your phone in your hand, just put it right into the contacts, put Vital Point Church and this number, because along the journey of this conversation, there are going to be moments where you need to reach out to us. You're going to have this sense and you're going to have this nudge and we want to walk with you in this. One of the reasons why I almost pushed this series off, I almost pushed the pause button on it, is because this is a series I feel needs to be done in person so that we can have intentional conversations after our in-person gatherings. But I felt very strongly that we need to go for it anyway. So take advantage of that number that's on the screen. Put it into your phone. Now, I will say this. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, 
Like someone's invited you to watch this, this service today. Someone's encouraged you to check out Vital Point on YouTube. I will say this to you. Embrace the weird. I know it sounds funny to say that, but there's going to be some in-house conversation. There's going to be some moments that are going to, you're going to be like, what? Because we're going to be talking about supernatural gifts at times. We're going to be talking about things that you're going to be scratching your head going, what is that even possible? And we're also going to be sharing stories along the way. So I want you to embrace the weird and be okay with it. And that number is on the screen for you as well. So keep all that in mind as we enter into this series, as we enter into each of these conversations. We're going to remove the number now off of the screen. I'm super excited about this series, and I look forward to being part of the conversation with you. Now, where do we start? Where do we start when we ask the question about spiritual gifts? Where do we start? Well, we have to start at Jesus. Jesus is the central figure to the Christian faith. And when we look at the life of Jesus, we must understand who he is and how he lived his public life for the three years in the public eye. Jesus was propelled into the public eye at around the age of 30. That's what we know and have understood We know very little about Jesus' life before that. We recognize that his mother was Mary, his stepdad was Joseph, he had siblings, he was a carpenter, some others say he's maybe a stonemason. We get a glimpse into his life when he was a teenager and we see moments of his life. But when we look at Jesus' life, when he was propelled into the public eye, we see some pretty powerful moments, don't we? If you're familiar with any of the story of Jesus, you know that Jesus healed You know that he taught stories in a way and told stories in a way that people were coming from everywhere to hear him teach. There was such power. He performed miracles. Many of us would look at that and we would say to ourselves, of course Jesus did that because Jesus was God in the flesh. But is that an accurate way to understand Jesus? Is it a correct way to look at those moments in Jesus' life? I would answer that question by saying no. It is not the correct understanding of Jesus, and here is why. Jesus was fully human. It's a title that we see from Jesus' life, and it's a title that he loved to use for himself. It is the title of Son of Man. It's a title used about 88 times in the New Testament. And as I mentioned, it was one of Jesus' most favorite titles that he used about himself. Now, there's multiple books and volumes of books written on this title, but essentially what we see in this moment is the title of Son of Man is speaking to the humanity and the humility of Jesus. When you examine his life, when you begin to sift through his life, you begin to see the evidence and the proof of his humanity. In the series that we're doing, Spiritual Gifts, we have to look at Jesus from a different lens. We must look at him from a different perspective to understand how it is that spiritual gifts work in our lives. There's a a writer in the New Testament by the name of John. He wrote this, this book called The Gospel of John. And if you're familiar with the Bible, there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They capture the different stories of Jesus' life and they have the different elements of his life from different perspectives. At the beginning of John's letter, 
he begins to lay out for us a very clear picture of Jesus. And this is where we need to start today in our conversation. I want to read for you John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Let me read this for you and, uh, and, and, and talk about it to give us an understanding. So John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. In the opening statement of John's letter, in this Gospel of John, we see the first two uh, parts of the, th- of the three-in-one God. You have God the Father, and you have God the Son. In this moment, the word, which is referring to the Son, tells us that the word existed in the beginning. The word was there at creation. It is through the word that all things are created. Matter of fact, in another writing, Colossians chapter 1, you see this idea that, the, that in the creation element of understanding how things are hold, held together, it is the son who holds all things together. In this opening statement, you have the binding communion between God and the Son. In this moment, we discover the deity of the Son. So we have God the Father and God the Son coexisting outside of space and time. They are one. Now, this section of the Bible obviously creates a lot of confusion, and there's lots of tension, and there's lots of uh, controversy about these opening statements. But what we have in this moment is the beauty and the wonder of who Jesus is as God. The word is God. And so you have the existence of the two at creation. This is what he's talking about. Now, to pace through this quickly, because for the sake of time, you see later on, just a few verses down, John reveals to us something important. Verse 14, it says this, So the word, which we just talked about in creation, became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. All right. So now we're progressing through to understanding now that the word who is in creation and part of and, and bringing creation into existence and holding it all together and it's through him now we see the word becoming flesh the word took on human form the correct word of this is understanding that we understand that divine word has become a human Jesus. That's what one writer describes in here. The second person of the three-in-one God steps into humanity, which is like entering the flow of human affairs, taking on flesh, taking on human form. Now, there's something very fascinating about this that I love, there, there, when you begin to uncover this and study this and, and look at it from a few perspectives, it's this idea that he tabernacled amongst us. That's the phrasing that some use to describe the word becoming flesh. The tabernacle has a connection to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, uh, God used Moses to lead his people in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, they had this thing called a tabernacle. It was this portable tent system that they took with them. The tabernacle was the presence and the glory of God. 
It's a description that you see in the, in the book called the Exodus, in Exodus. You see the glory of God. It is where God meets his people. It is where God reveals his will. It is where God displays his glory. It is where God communicates with his people. He tabernacled. It is in this expression. Fast forward into Jesus, the word becoming flesh, taking on human form. It is that imagery of him taking on human form. Now, I, I love this aspect of who the word is because when you think about it, when you think about the glory and the wonder of the one who created and the one for whom all things are created for and through and holds all things together, leaves that and takes on human form. When we're at Christmas, <clears throat> when we're at Christmas, we, we celebrate what? We celebrate the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus is God taking on human form in the form of a baby. This is a beautiful demonstration of God's kingdom where God's kingdom things are different. He took on flesh. He cried. He felt pain. In his human form, he had limitations. When you think about the wonder and the power and the awe of that, you begin to get a, catch a glimpse of how powerful Jesus is. I don't know how you see Jesus. I don't know if you see him just as a good teacher or a prophet or, or a good storyteller. I don't know how you see him, but we're catching a glimpse of the power and the wonder of who he is and understanding how spiritual gifts are functioning as we move towards his humanity. Now, there's another writer named the Apostle Paul who wrote some things about this as well. And we can see this in a, in a writing called Philippians. And the early church would have used this as sort of a, they referred to it as Christ's hymn. They may have repeated this. They may have sung this to, to get an understanding of, of who Jesus is. Listen to what, what they say, what, he, what Paul said. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Unbelievable moment. The reality and the truth in this conversation of Jesus taking on human form, we see that he actually took on the form of a servant. And what Paul describes here is that the son did not cling to his position within the three-in-one, but he chose to set it aside, that he gave up his divine privileges. The word here in the original language, some would use in the original language is the word, not some, all say this, is kenosis, made himself nothing, he emptied himself, he poured himself out. Now, we have to be careful. He did not give up being God. He did not cease being God. He gave up his glory, and he took on the form of a servant. He released his advantage of being God. He set aside the power to embrace the human limitations of being human. He willingly set that aside. His divine position as God, he set it aside to take on human form. Eugene Peterson, in the message paraphrase, says this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. He says, Jesus 
had equal, equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantage of the, that status no matter what. Not at all. Incredible perspective. Now, what we must understand in this process of getting a new perspective on Jesus in spiritual gifts is this, is that this was not just a one-time moment of emptying himself. This was not just a one-time of not holding on to or clinging to who he really was. This was an ongoing process of the limitations within human form. That needs to sit with us. It was the ongoing process of the limitation within human form. See, we often read (coughs) the stories about Jesus And we look at them from a perspective of assuming that he did the things that he did because he was God. I mean, think about this for a moment. When he fed the 5,000 with a few loaves of bread and a few fish and he had leftovers, of course, right? Because he was God. When you look at the moments when he walked on water and you would look at that and you would say, well, he did that because he was God. When he healed the lame, when he helped the, the, the deaf hear, when he touched someone's mouth who couldn't speak and they were able to speak, we would go, of course, he was God. Of course, he told great stories and people come from everywhere. He was God. Jesus was God, right? So we would go, isn't this true? But is that the accurate way to see him? See, when you begin to pull it away, when you begin to strip it down, you begin to realize that there was something else going on here that is revealing to us how it is that we are to see spiritual gifts. See, Jesus, when he stepped into this moment, was relying upon the Holy Spirit to give him the power to do what he did, to enable enable him to be able to accomplish the things that he did. It was in his humanity and his trust upon the source and the power of the Spirit of God that propelled him forward to do what he did. In essence, we begin to realize is that Jesus modeled for us what it means to live out of the power of the Holy Spirit and use of the spiritual gifts and the gifts of the Spirit in order to accomplish the things that he did. Jesus, in his limitation, identified with us, but yet in doing that, he modeled for us what it means to live out our faith. We have to see Jesus different. We must view him differently. Now, where did all this start? How did this all happen? Well, we have to go to another writer of the New Testament. We have to go to a writer by the name of Luke. When we go to the writer Luke, we begin to discover some powerful truths of where and how Jesus did what he did. I want to take you to Jesus' baptism. Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. Let me read it for you. It says, one day when the crowds were being baptized, you can look at the other uh, account of this moment. It's John the Baptist. 
He's baptizing people in the Jordan River. And uh, he's, you know, people are coming to him from everywhere and they're getting baptized. And Jesus comes along and he wants to be baptized by John the Baptist. And other writers would have this little discussion between the two, but Luke doesn't have it. It just goes right to the point. And he says this, one day and, um, the crowds were being baptized. Jesus himself was baptized. And he was praying, the heavens open and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descends on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven says, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. This is a beautiful moment where we see the, all aspects of all the persons of the three in one in this moment. We have Jesus, the son, coming up out of the water. We have the Holy Spirit in, in the likeness of a dove coming down and landing on him. And we also have the father speaking. This is heaven, the kingdom of heaven, breaking in in this moment, in this beautiful baptism moment of Jesus. Funny side note on this, and has nothing really to do with the conversation, but this week as I was studying this section in Luke chapter, Luke chapter 3, uh, last Monday I happened to be at our central location in Poplar Hill where I am right now, I was standing in the parking lot talking to a pastor, and um, a white dove was flying over the building, and we both had this moment where we looked at each other, and then the white dove swooped down over top of us, super close to us, and I looked at my pastor friend and I said, if that dove lands on your shoulder, I'm going to pass out. And we had this great laugh in this moment. No significance, I don't think, other than it was just ironic that I was studying this that morning and then that white dove shows up. But it is a moment when we realize that there is an act of power taking shape here in Jesus' life. Because you see the Spirit of God in the form of the dove coming down into that space. But Luke unpacks it even more for us. Luke gives us a picture of what this is about. In chapter 4, verses, verse 1 and 2, it says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. See, what we have here in this moment, is the humanity of Jesus in the wilderness moment where he's hungry, it says. But we also see in this moment where Jesus goes toe-to-toe with the evil one. And it is in this moment where the power of the Holy Spirit begins to work and move in Jesus' life. And and you can read this for yourself later. There's this incredible tension between the power of evil and, and Jesus' moment. And I love this because Jesus overcomes a temptation in that moment. And which means he's identifying with our humanity, but yet he overcame it. He did not sin in this moment. You can read this in Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews displays this for us, that he was tempted in all ways, but yet without sin. Which means that Jesus is qualified in this moment to take our sin upon himself, to be the bearer of our sin. This is a powerful demonstration. Interesting, isn't it? that he takes on human form, but yet the power of the Spirit comes upon him and he goes toe-to-toe with the evil one in the wilderness. But then it says, later on in verse 14, it says, then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Oh, here we go. Once again, describing for us what it is. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He was propelled into the wilderness by the Spirit. It was the Spirit's power that enabled him to resist the enemy in those moments. And then we see him coming out of the wilderness with 
filled with great power. Jesus' baptism, the Spirit descends upon him, empowers him. He defeats the tactics of the evil, of the evil one, and he emerges with great power. I would say this to you. Jesus was unable to do the things that he did apart from the Holy Spirit because he resisted his kingship. He resisted the, he emptied himself. He set it aside. He didn't cling, he didn't hold on to it. So it means he couldn't have healed the sick or done miracles because of the human side of who he was. John Thompson in his book, Convergent, says this. Luke makes it clear that Jesus would not use his own power or carry out his own plans. Everything Jesus said and did, he did in surrender and under the power of the Holy Spirit. I think we're catching a new perspective on Jesus. We're catching a new understanding of who he is. See, when you look at Jesus' life, it is so easy to assume that he did the things that he did because he was God. But is that the proper perspective? Like, think about John chapter 4 for a moment. John chapter 4, Jesus has this encounter with a woman at the well. And he interacts with her. And he has a conversation with her. And in this moment, he, he reveals what is often referred to as a word of knowledge. It is a, the Spirit revealed to him that this woman didn't have just one husband, had multiple husbands. How did Jesus know that? Was it his divine? No, he didn't cling, he didn't hold on to that. It was by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, we're seeing Jesus model for us what it means to live out of the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit that he gives to us. This is a powerful moment. See, the backpack that we're carrying right now is filled with certain perspectives, and we're unpacking that to redefine it, to understand more of who Jesus is and how he lived his life. Now, we have to look at this, and we have to go, okay, what does this mean for us? Why start here? Well, we start here, maybe for the obvious, but I must say it. We start here because... It is the relationship with Jesus that is priority in all of this. When we think about the intimacy of the walk with Jesus, it is an important dynamic that we understand that the Christian faith is about the relationship with him. It is the intimacy of the walk with him. It is the moments and times and the rhythms and patterns that we develop where we are creating space to develop the relationship with Jesus. When we think about what Jesus did on the cross, when we think about the price that he paid for our sin, when we think about the dynamic of him walking out of the tomb, conquering sin and death, doing this in order for us to have a relationship with God through him, that we understand a powerful truth that is emerging, that our relationship with Jesus is what matters the most in this, that is the depth of his love that we so long to hold on to and that we so long to proclaim. But it is also out of this relationship dynamic and the intimacy of a relationship with Jesus that we begin to realize that our gifts are found in relationship with him through the dynamic of the empowering of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit of our lives. When you think about our church, 
When you think about the dynamic of who we are as a church, it is the dynamic of the power of the Holy Spirit working and moving, empowering us to continue to do what God has called us to do. Yes, there are strategies. Yes, there are plans. Yes, there are dreams and hopes and imaginations that we have. Yes, we have great music. Yes, we have the occasional stellar message that we have. But there is a dynamic that we must understand that as we move forward, as we express who we are and the fullness of who we are, it is through the empowering of the Holy Spirit that this takes shape and this happens. Yes, we will take care of the poor. Yes, we will meet the physical needs of others. But we are called to make disciples, and it is through the power and the breath of the Spirit of God that enables our culture to embrace what the Spirit of God is doing. But here's the other piece. Here's the other piece of this that is expressed and understood, is that if we are to be the fullest expression of what God wants us to be as his body in this world, because the church is, is called the body of Christ, So just as Jesus moved and worked for those three years, for the last few thousand years, the body of Christ has been evident and working in this world. This means this, that the people who make up the body of Christ, the people who are called to be part of the church, it is our responsibility to discover and develop and deploy, I'll say that again, we are to discover, develop, and deploy our spiritual gifts within the church. It's the 3D faith. I just made that up, literally just made that up. It's a 3D, our camera person is now laughing behind the camera right now. It's a 3D faith, which means, which means this, when people begin to understand their gifts, when they begin to understand their spiritual gift of leadership, they lead. When they understand the spiritual gift of organizing, they organize. When they understand their gift of mercy or shepherding, they shepherd and gift, and they give it away. When their hospitality, when it's a prophetic gift, they, they use their prophetic gift to speak words of life. When it's words of knowledge, when it's words of wisdom, when it's healing. There's a dynamic of happening here that we together collectively express our gifts where the only power source is available that ignites what God is doing in his church. Spiritual gifts is our place of guaranteed power. To live out our faith, it is a power that's available just as Jesus lived. And you're sitting here and you're going... I don't know. I don't think I've got gifts. I don't think it's a false perspective of your faith. God in his great love and his great mercy gave you gifts. And it depends on which angle you look at this. Some have one, two, three. You have access to other things of the spiritual gifts that are available to us as the spirit moves and works in our lives. But you have spiritual gifts. Just as Jesus was empowered to do what he did, you too are empowered to live out your faith as he modeled it for us. Matter of fact, I would say this, we can do more than what Jesus did on here on earth. You're like, did I just hear that correctly? It's not my words, actually. John chapter 14, verse 12. 
I tell you the truth. I love when Jesus talks like this. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to the Father. Jesus is speaking about post-resurrection, but he's also capturing the imagination of what it means to be the church. And he's catching, a, he's trying to cast a vision to allow us to catch a glimpse And no, it's not greater in quality, but it's greater in quantity. Because for the last 2,000 years, the church has been living in the power of Jesus' name and accomplishing and doing great things. I often talk with people about their faith and their faith journey, and sometimes they'll say to me, I I just don't know if it's working. I just don't know what it is that I should be doing next. And I would say this to you. I would say this to you. Posture yourself in a way where you say, God, I want to know my gifts. I want to discover my gifts. I want to I develop my gifts. I want to deploy my gifts. Because when we do collectively, when we do this collectively, there is a power that is available. There is a, a light that shines so bright that others will see. There's something significant that is happening right now in the church of Jesus. Not just in Vital Point Church, but in the church globally. I've had the privilege of being on calls with pastors and faith leaders from all around the world. And we're all very excited about what God is doing in the reshaping of his church. We believe that God is refining his church right now. And that there's some of us and many of us that are watching this right now and listening to my voice that you are in a space right now where your faith is vibrant and it's growing and a piece of this that is going to be essential and vital to your journey is knowing and discovering your gifts, trusting and believing. I love the model that Jesus gave us. He exposes for us what it means to walk in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul said it like this. He said, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And this is imagery of the ongoing wind of the Spirit in our sails. And I long for this for you. I've been praying for this for you for a long time. And my hope and my prayer is today that in this conversation, something has sparked inside of you and you're ready to lean in and discover your gifts. We've got a closing song for you and then I'll be back with some call to action. Listen to this song.